Welcome to this week's podcast from Gathering Place Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, please visit our website at gatheringplacechurch.com. Bless you, you can be seated. We're happy you're here. Bless you, you can be seated. We're happy morning. We want to welcome you uh, to Gathering Place Church. You're in a great place. And we believe that you're not here uh, by accident, but that the Holy Spirit um, has a word just for you. Um, Also want to invite, I see uh, my brother's mother-in-law, Bren's mom, Allison, here all the way from Vacaville, California. We're happy you're here this morning, that the wildfires have not affected you. We've been praying um, over the crazy fires that are happening in California as well, and um, crazy the stories and the news that you see of all that's going on there. But we are in uh, our fourth installment of our series, Hope for the Home. Have you you guys been blessed, been encouraged, been full of hope? Um, I pray that you have as we've been praying and just asking the Holy Spirit, what are the topics that we need to talk about, that we need to shed truth on of what's happening in our homes, what's going on in our world? Last week, we talked about that there is a all-out nasty, ugly war against God's love being released in our lives and in our families and in our situations. So we went through some practical ways to how to wage war against the enemy, how to war with our words, how to war in the spirit, how to war to have God's love released through our lives. Anybody be encouraged last week that you're not going to allow the enemy stop God's love being released in and through your life? I pray you were. Well, this morning, uh, is a fun topic to talk about, but at the same time, uh, is very serious. And there's so many uh, angles, there's so many um, emotions, there's so much associated with it that can bring a lot of pain, but it can also bring a lot of joy. And that subject is marriage. That if in a room like this, in a church like this, is we have so many different expressions of marriage, whether it's newlyweds. Uh, we had a couple in our first service that's been married. Steve and Sandy, our elders here, have been married 47 years. Um, anybody beat 47 years in the room? Okay, so they, they hold the longest marriage uh, in the house. Uh, but when you talk to someone, I was talking with Steve, and we've had uh, conversations on marriage, and his thing is, is, He said, even when I didn't feel like it, I was willing to roll up my sleeves and fight for my marriage. And I think that's the key to it, is that there is a fight associated with our relationships, a fight to to fight for one another, not just give in, not just exit out. Because we see in our world, it makes it so easy just to drop it and pick up something new. And we have to fight these feelings. We have to fight how our our world, our media, our culture expresses how marriage is to be. And my intention, my heart this morning, is that we would get God's vision, those of you that are married, that you would be refreshed and see that God has created marriage. Marriage is not a man-made idea, but it is a divine uh, institution created by Jesus Christ. That you're not participating in something man-made, but you're participating in something that is heavenly, something that Jesus himself has created. We've said before as well that our churches, our communities are only as strong as our marriages, as our families. And as we're in this series, Hope for the Home, we can't go on without talking about marriages because of how much it 
uh, uh, impacts our homes and our lives. You know, you think about revival and we're praying for revival. Revival in its truest sense means a return to obedience. If you want to see God revive your marriage or revive what has been killed or hurt in you through pain of a divorce or pain of a broken relationship, when we return to the obedience of God's word, how many of you know that he can begin to do what only he can do? He can begin to heal. He can begin to build. We sang a song this morning, I'll build my life. Well, if we're going to build our lives, we can sing about it all day, but we got to get in and see what the blueprints are of how to build a marriage, of how to build a family. We even see uh, the hurricanes in, in, um, in Florida that have recently taken place and how it reveals from the rubble of how structures and foundations were built. It, I think it's safe to say that, uh, that a hurricane has swept through our country and our culture and has caused a mess and confusion and where we're all having to discuss and look at of what family and what marriage is that we're in a season and in a time where we have to step back and honestly evaluate and ask ourselves, how am I building my marriage? How am I building my family? How am I raising my kids? How am I operating in my relationships? Now, as we move forward in marriage in a talk like this, the first thing that we have to be on guard of is a spirit of condemnation that the enemy wants to bring. He wants to make us feel like we're failures, we've messed up. There's uh, no hope for our situation. I've made too many mistakes. Um, so we need to be on guard for that this morning. And I don't want you to feel shame. I don't want you to feel a sense of failure. But right now, starting right here, I want you to be hopeful for what God's word has to say about marriage, about sexuality, about family. That when we make the decision, see, because we all have a will and we can choose to freely follow God or we can choose to freely follow and do what we feel is best for us, but we want to make a decision. I believe you're here in church this morning because you've chosen to say, I want to submit myself to God's will and God's plan for my marriage, for my home. And so I want to roll back through some scripture we're not even going to touch Ephesians 5 this morning. We're not going there and talking about roles, okay? So you can breathe a little bit this morning. Uh, but we're gonna, I want to look at really the institution of marriage. Because this message is for you, even though if you're not married, if you're single, if you have no plans on marrying. Because marriage, when you open the word of God, God's story, which is our story, starts with a marriage in the book of Genesis and then it ends in the book of Revelation 21 with the marriage as well. So God uses the, the sacrament or the mystery of marriage, uses the, the place of marriage to show how he loves you and I. And I feel if we can lean into that this morning and we can understand how much God loves us, then it's a trickle-down effect into how we love our spouse, into how we build our families, into how we build our marriages. Because we can take, and I've done it all, and I'm thankful for it, and I've grown from it, but we can do personality assessments. We can have people say, well, you're compatible here, and you're compatible there. At the end of the day, God's word, the scripture of what it teaches on marriage is the firm foundation and is the rock we have to build our marriage on. Then God brings all those things to complement what his word says. But if we don't have a strong, firm understanding of God's word with marriage, then Things can get chaotic, things can get messy, families suffer, families hurt. And so I believe if we can return to obedience of what God's word says 
with marriage, you can see revival happen in your home and you can see the spirit of God come in and shake things up and set you free. I believe 100% too that, and I see it when I was married and Bree was married, we all bring baggage in when we first get married. And many times we don't allow the Holy Spirit to deal with that baggage. And so I pray that any baggage we have here, even regarding of what marriage is or how it's supposed to look or what we think it is, or maybe we had a marriage modeled for us that was unhealthy and wasn't God's best, that we would leave all of that at the door, at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, what is your perfect picture? What is your idea for marriage? And as I begin to operate and pick this up, even though as I'm single and getting a vision for what marriage is to be, because you don't, the worst thing you can do in marriage is to walk in blindly, not good, knowing what you're getting yourself into. So I pray if you are single, this can save you some school of hard knocks. But I'm going to keep it, uh, uh, I'm going to go through some things pretty quick because I want to get somewhere at the end here. But I want to start with, if you have your Bibles, uh, we also have uh, the notes in the app so you can follow along as well. But we're going to start with Genesis 1, verse 26 through 20, 28, where we see the creation of man. You guys ready to hear God's word this morning? You ready to be encouraged? All right, good. Verse 26 says this. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, the image of God he created him which is male and female. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we see God open it up, the creation of man, God's role for man of taking dominion, we see, too, that God has a thing against creeps that he gives, has authority over every creeping thing, okay? So thank God for that. But I want to pull out three critical um, things we see just in this passage of Scripture. And if you're taking notes, we have the points here. They're in the app as well. I want to go through these pretty quickly because this is foundational truth of what God has set up and what he's created. And here's the thing, too. I, wanna, I want you to take this message in a way where you can also use it to evangelize, that you can reach into people's lives who don't know what marriage is because everyone's asking, talking, trying to figure it out, where now you can say, well, let's open God's word, and there's, here's three critical things that we see so that you can understand what marriage is. Number one is this, is that God makes human persons in his image and his likeness. Aren't you thankful for that, that we are created in the image of God? Number two, is human persons exist as male and female. These are the only two genders that exist. And these male and female are to reflect God. And number three, God directly gives the commands. He blesses them, and he says, to be fruitful, to be fertile, and to multiply. So these are three foundational truths we see in the book of Genesis. Now, if we get some context for Genesis, I love giving context because it's important when you read God's word that you have a guide with it. Yes, the Holy Spirit guides us, but we want to understand what is 
the, the truth, the context of how this truth was being presented in. And so if we know anything about Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11 commentary will tell us is that it speaks through a, a poetic truth that in our world and in our 21st Western American understanding of truth, we love to make truth boil it down to an equation. We want to put it in a test tube and dissect it. But many times in the word of God, there's different avenues that God speaks truth. And so this is poetic truth that we see, Genesis 1 through 11 is what it's known as, of how God is communicating truth to us. And so it's pretty amazing how God does this and what he's saying through it. I've also heard another commentary that I laughed at uh, because of all the debate going on where in our culture and in our 21st century today, uh, he's, one commentator said that we're uh, one of the most collective group of idiots because we can't understand basic human rights. Think about it. And I'm like, I kind of took a step back like, okay, what do you mean by that? Is one, we're still debate on what is a human life, that we have this conversation of trying to understand what is life and what is not. Number two, we're still trying to figure out what marriage is. Is it between a male and female? Are there other genders? So we have all this information available to us. We have all this study available to us, yet we're still trying to figure out basic truth here. And so we see our culture diverting back to a place of not understanding what truth is at all. And it's bled into the very institution of marriage trying to understand what really is marriage and what isn't marriage, what is God's way of marriage and what is man's way of marriage. And so we see this, this challenge in this battle for truth, which is pretty cool because in the world we live in today, it can very much parallel in a way to uh, when Genesis was written. And I challenge anyone, if you love studying other religions or other ways of thought, is um, I remember taking a comparative religions class, and this was a topic that was brought out. And in this comparative religions class, they took the book of Genesis and, and compared it to um, a, a near uh, Eastern uh, mythology. So this is the, the law of the land, the rule of thought, how people processed and viewed relationships and gender and equality was through uh, Eastern mythology. And I wrote this down, but I want you to hear what uh, Eastern mythology can be summed up and what the Bible was having to now, as Genesis is being revealed, of this is what it's beginning to break down and the way people viewed relationships, the way they viewed sexuality, the, ve the way they even viewed their humanity. It can be summed up as this. It says, their view of reality is there is a whole host of gods, and those gods are subject to higher powers known as fates. These gods are not good at all. They're constantly at war with each other. They're hypersexual. They're like humans. They can be facetious. They can be fickle. And humanity is created for one purpose, and that's only to be slaves to the gods. And to women, women have no equality, no voice, and there's no room for women to be equal at all. You study ancient writings of what the presiding view of women was at the time it would make you cringe and see that women were completely under man, completely under male, and had no voice, weren't respected. And so now with Genesis coming in, bringing a whole new view because the Bible is the first and the word of God is the first. Christianity is the first to bring equality to both male and female. That male isn't under woman, woman isn't under male, but they're created as equals. 
So this is a completely new idea that's blowing everyone's mind when this is being revealed. And so we see the good and we see what uh, the, the author of Genesis is, is trying to establish and trying to show us this is God's heart for marriage. This is God's heart for humanity, for relationships. And what's amazing as well as we know the God of Genesis is that there's one God, that he's very good. If you read the creation story, you see how he creates effortlessly, that he has no sexual partners. So this tells us as well, and you can study this out, it, it tells us that family has a purpose, that sex has a purpose, and that marriage has a purpose. And where I wanna be is I wanna discover what is God's and, and what we all need to be, what is God's best, what is his purpose? Because if we don't understand the purpose, then we misuse it, it gets abused, and it causes pain and hurt in our lives. So ultimately, God is trying to blow open the door of saying, if you wanna experience my best, here's how you do it. Here's the purpose of sex. Here's the purpose of family. Here's the purpose of marriage. And so we understand through Genesis that human persons is made in the image and likeness of God. What that simply means is that we have a reason and we have a will. Now, what we see with Adam when he took the fruit from the fall is he chose to take his free will and chose to sin with it. That's many of our story. That's my story. That's humanity's story is we take our will and we sin with it or we take our will and we choose to submit it to God's will. And so all of us are in this battle every day when we wake up to say, I'm going to take my human will and I'm going to follow God with it. Because God gives us a will not to control us. He gives us a free will not to do whatever we want, but so that his heart is that we would freely choose to love him and we'd freely choose to love others. So this is God's heart in creation. And he also wants to heal our disordered desires. You know, if we don't allow our wills to be healed and set free by God, by the Holy Spirit, then our desires are just simply disordered. That's why we see the mess in our world today is desires are disordered. And so we see moving forward that uh, how God creates male and female. You know, it's amazing to think of it this way too, is that me as a male standing right here, I don't reflect fully the nature of God. And if Bree was standing here as female, by herself, she does not fully reflect the nature of God. But it's male and female together. They reflect who God is. Because God created them equal. He created them together. So if you want to get the heart of God, look at how he created female and how different they can be uh, emotionally, spiritually even. How there's a sensitivity that females have that's so beautiful to the Holy Spirit. And you look at male and you even get into Ephesians 5 and you see the different roles that God's established in male and female. So when you see male and female, you get a full picture of the image of God and how he's created us. And we see how beautiful God set it up and he created it to be. And so moving forward, we see in Genesis 2, 18 through 25, when he did create man and what comes about through male and female. Look at verse 18. You guys doing good? You still here? Yeah. Good. I'm preaching so good. You're listening so good and taking so many notes. You're not even talking. <laughs> Look what verse 18 says. It says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. God says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. 
And whenever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, had, he had made into woman, and he brought her to the man. This is, we see Adam speak for the first time in the creation story. It says, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and this is beautiful because this is God's heart. They were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they knew no shame, or they weren't ashamed. So this is God's story. This is God's heart for our relationships. This is what he desires for our lives to look like. But here in a minute, we're going to see in Genesis 3 what's known as the fall, where everything went wrong, where sin entered the world, of what began to pollute and contaminate God's idea of marriage and God's heart for marriage. Some interesting facts about what we just read is seven times prior, you hear God say, it is good or it is very good. Not once do we hear him say, it is not good. So this is the first time we hear God say, it is not good about something. So the writer of, of, of Genesis what he is communicating here is almost like a thunderclap, like wake up, now you're about to see something of what is not good. And so diving into it, it should wake us up to really hone in, okay, what's going on here? God is saying something isn't good. I, I need to pay attention. And so knowing that this is the first time this is said, we have to ask the question of, okay, what isn't good here? We know because we just read it, but God says it's not good, not for man, but specifically male, not for male, to be alone. And we see what is God's remedy to this problem and to this issue. It says that he creates a helper fit for him. Now, this verse of scripture has been taken extremely out of context and has been used to manipulate and control, where in a heated fight, man, I've, man will say, well, you are my helper, and there's this sense of you're under my thumb, you're, uh, I'm, over you, I'm the head of the home, you're gonna submit to me. Those kind of words start getting flown around and stuff gets ugly and nasty. Now when you break apart the word helper here, in the Hebrew, it's pronounced zir, and the word is used 21 times in the Old Testament and 17 times referring to God. So God is saying as a helper that I am giving male, man, divine assistance. That this is a beautiful role that is placed upon female, that her role, that her heart is to be of divine assistance. See, because what we reduce helper down to is, well, I'm feeling lazy. I don't feel like getting up, so that woman needs to go turn down the thermostat. It's just this disgusting, pathetic view of what helper has been turned into, where there's a constant warring and a battling and the, an issue of submission both between male and female that we get the mess we see in marriage generally today. And so I believe if we don't understand what God's heart and how he created roles and how he created what he's saying here and what his intent is, then we can miss it and we can miss God's heart and miss the blessing that God wants to bring alive in our marriages. And so moving on, what we see is this divine assistance. And we see that 
when Adam meets the woman, when he meets Eve for the first time, what did we see, what did we say? Is that it's the first time in scripture we see Adam speak, that he physically says something, that scripture records. And so what awakes in him is this sense of purpose, that Adam is now seeing she is what I am created for. And I wrote this down that what he's saying here is that he is made to give himself to her and receive the gift of self back to him. So there's this receiving and there's this giving that begins to take place between man and female. And when he sees her, it's not like when he saw the giraffe and the neck on the giraffe and was like, oh my gosh, the neck on that thing is amazing. (laughs) He didn't hear anything. It's when he saw female, it's like, oh my gosh, who is this? And he comes alive because he sees someone who is like her, but at the same time is like, oh my gosh, she is not like me. And so there's a sense of curiosity, there's a sense of attraction that he begins to see. And I love it because scripture says that they were naked, they didn't know shame. And it's awful because that word shame is so associated relationally in our lives through broken hearts, broken relationships, through things we feel we've messed up, we can't fix, we can't go back, that there's a sense of shame. And that's the enemy's biggest tool is shame. You even break down what devil means. It means division. Satan means accuser. That's who he is to his core and to his identity. So he wants to bring accusations. He wants to accuse you of your past, making you feel worthless, making you feel shameful. But how many of you know we serve a God who is in the business of bringing dead things to life? That he's in the business of stirring hope in our homes and in our marriages. That God's heart is to always be involved and present and engaged. I think there's a sense of idea of well where we think the wedding is the end when really it's the beginning. Like, okay, now I'm finally married. It's all good from here. But the wedding is just the beginning. And there's the sense of that, you know, maybe we think that we'll check in with with God or with Jesus on Sundays and we'll see how things are going. But see, God designed it. So if he designed something, he does not leave us powerless in it. If God designed marriage, there is, I believe, in what church tradition and history and what the word of God teaches is that there is power specifically available for you to operate in marriage and to be all and experience all that God created it to be. That should give you some hope right there. And I, I, I sense and through conversation and when I begin to peel this apart, I see in myself, I'm just scratching the surface of what is available in my marriage to live this out, to be, um, to be uh, sacrificial, to love in a way that Christ loved his church. That just doesn't happen overnight or happen from a prayer. That happens from countless decisions each and every day of choosing to love even when I don't feel like it, choosing to lay my life down for her to present my wife, my job is to present my wife as a pure and spotless bride. And we're gonna see in a minute of what the ultimate point of marriage is and what we're all working toward. And so we see going back of what Adam is experiencing when he's seeing Eve and what's going on inside of him. You know, what's amazing is Eve truly helps Adam be human, and, and Adam helps Eve truly be human. What that means is on our own, we cannot be fulfilled. On our own, we cannot fulfill ourselves. What's amazing, and many times we miss when we read this account and this story, 
is that it says, let us make man in our image. So God is referring to himself as us. So what does that say to us? That it's the Father, it's the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see the work of the Trinity working together in communion, creating man. What's amazing about God is he is a giver at his core. He does not keep things to himself. He does not keep his love to himself. He is constantly looking to pour it upon his church and upon his bride, which is you and I. And so we see God creating this in community and it shows us something right here that we're only gonna experience the love of God in communion with one another and in communion with God. It's not just me on an island with my Bible and I have the Holy Spirit. That's great, but the way God designed it is it's to be in communion. It's to be like we are here in a church, going through life together, working through things. And he gives us this picture in marriage. I love this as well as I, as I wrote this down. It says this, the only way I find fulfillment is when I resemble the one whose image and likeness I was made. That's our goal. That's our vocation. That's what we work toward. Our vocation in life isn't the job we work isn't our nine to five. Our vocation is our marriage. It's our family. It's the things that when we stand before Christ on that glorious day that we give account for. That's what we're to be working on and putting energy and effort in. And it says that we can, the Bible's full of stories and parables that earthly things, worldly possessions will not fulfill you. As much of it as you get, those things will not fulfill you. They will leave you high and dry. It'll feel good for a moment, but when many times you, you are the loneliest when you have everything around you, but you have no one to share it with. You hear stories of that all the time. And so God is establishing this. If you wanna be fulfilled, it's in community. It's in uh, even a deeper community. The strongest community you can have on earth is in a marriage. And so we see for Eve, what is revealed in this poetic way is that Eve is made of the same stuff as man, that it's enforcing equality. And we see that as Eve is, is made from the rib, that it wasn't pulled from the head, it wasn't pulled from the knee, but it was pulled equally in the center from the rib. And you have to ask the question too, what is the purpose of the rib? The rib protects the heart. And so ladies, you have this beautiful role of protecting the heart of your spouse, of who God has put you together with. And so we see also that it says, I highlighted that God brought, it says that God brought her to the man. That's where we get that picture in our weddings and that's where uh, it's said and why the, the father walks his daughter down the aisle and brings her to her husband. That's what we see God doing here to, to the man is he's bringing her to Adam. He's bringing Eve to Adam. The same as with you and I that, we have to understand men, is that she's not all ours. Bree is not all mine. I am sharing her with God, that she is God's beloved, and God loves her more infinitely than I ever could. And so when we have this understanding that we're sharing her with God, then it puts a fear in you where there's certain lines I'm not gonna cross. I'm gonna respect, I'm gonna think twice before I say things, because there's a healthy fear that motivates you to protect and to care for who God is sharing with, she's sharing her with me. It's a sobering thought and it's a sobering way to see this, but it's the way God has set it up. What's amazing as well is we, I want to summarize quickly Genesis 3. What we see in the fall, 
I challenge you to get in it and to pray in it and look through it to see where everything went wrong, where junk, where sin, where disease, where everything entered into humanity, into human, into uh, what makes us broken, what breaks our will, is two things. We have to see through this in the context of marriage is that we see the enemy, how he operates. He's cunning. He twists the word of God. He's a false teacher. And so what we see through this in the context of marriage is not only do we have an enemy just as human beings, but we have an enemy specifically targeting our marriages. Satan hates our marriages to the extent because it reflects who God is. If God, if Jesus set up uh, marriage to be, uh, to resemble him of how he loves his church, then how much does the enemy want to destroy marriage and destroy the institution of marriage? That's why we see what's happening in the world today. Because the enemy knows if he can get the throat of our marriages, then he can take everything else with it. And so Satan is in the game of marriage division. He's going to accuse. He's going to divide. He wants to destroy. I love this as well. The enemy can just wants to destroy marriages so that he can impair the capacity to show who God is. Our marriages, the way God set them up, even though we might not realize it, see it around us, or it's not in our homes, is he set marriages up to ultimately point to Christ. That when you look at one another, you should see Jesus. And that's our, what we strive for, what we labor for, and what we work toward. The essence of marriage is that it points to God. And this was Genesis 3 was Satan, Satan's game plan. That we, you and I feel the effects today to ruin that, to destroy it, to dilute it, to where we won't operate in that. And so we see because of that what enters in. It's the shame, it's fear, it's suspicion, it's objectification, it's all of these things that are a result of the fall. So I wanna end on a positive note for you. I believe it's gonna encourage you and it's gonna really bring all of this together of the way God has set up marriage and how it reflects him ultimately. Tim, if you put up our definition of a sacrament, a sacrament is simply this, and this is what marriage is, is a sacrament just like communion represents something deeper. A sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality instituted by Jesus that gives grace. This is what God's heart is for marriage, is it is a visible sign of an invisible reality that God has set up, instituted by Jesus, that's gonna show and give grace to what you do and to how you work and how you live with one another. You know, what's amazing too about marriage and this sacramental life and this life of, of giving of oneself is the lie is I can't give of myself, I can't forgive, I'm offended, I just want my distance. But the reality is, is when you work past that, you roll up your sleeves, you cry out to God for help, is what you begin to see as you are pouring yourself out is it's almost as Christ is pouring his grace into you to keep forgiving, to keep loving, to keep working through problems, to stay, keep fidelity. And it's amazing what happens is the grace that is bestowed upon you when you keep fighting and you keep sticking in and you keep working through what is happening. A church father also said this, and again, this is where we have to keep shame, unforgiveness. This is where we have to keep condemnation out of the way, but this is the reality says this, he said this, he said, only to the degree that marriage mirrors the love of Christ can it be called even Christian. Only to the degree that our marriages mirror the love of Christ can it be called Christian. And so what we think, when you think of a mirror, if you look at our mirror before cleaning day on Sunday, 
is there's toothpaste, there's hair, there's some chipping in it, and that mirror is nasty. Many times our mirrors look like that, of when we look into it and what's reflected back at us, it's not what we want to see. But as I said before, God is in the business of cleaning. He's in the business of restoring and renewing when we lean into him and we pick up what he's wanting to do. Again, my prayer, my heart is that you see the sober reality that marriage is not something we throw around. Marriage is not something that we just do, but it's a state of being as well. That God's more concerned of who we are becoming and he gives us marriage to make us like him and to make us like Christ. And it's never too late. You're never too far gone of what you've walked through or what you've had to go through and what your story looks like. And so we see all of this and as it comes together of what it is to be and what it is to look like, and Tim, I want you to put up this final point, Seth, if you come, is this is the heart of the end of our lives and what we want to strive to be and what this sacramental life looks like. If we should be able to say, because of you, I know who God is. That that's why God set it up, that we can see a visible reality of Jesus where we can say, because of the way that you forgive me, because of the way you love me, because of the way you sacrifice, because of your commitment, your fidelity, your faithfulness, I know who God is. He gives us this sign. But see, think of it this way. If marriage is a sign that points to something, marriage just doesn't point to you and I. It points to one marriage, which is the marriage, again, of Christ and the church. And it points to one priest. We have one high priest. I am not the only pastor, the only priest. We have a bunch of pastors that represent, but there is one high priest that this points to. And so we see the bigger picture of what is taking place where God's heart, his best, is to give us marriage where we can look at our spouse and we can truly say, because of you, I know who God is. Now, this is a sober reality, and this seems impossible many of the times. And what our stories look like, maybe this is not a reality, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe you want it to be. I don't know where you're at in it, but this is what God's heart intends to do and why he gives us marriage. And so, Troy, I want you to bring the lights down. I don't want any, any shining on me. I want to read this to you. And if your spouse is here, I want you to grab them by the hand. I want you to connect with this. I don't want you to watch me reading. I just want you to simply hear these words. This is what's known as a nuptial blessing. It's a, consecra a consecration that has been a part of the church for thousands of years that's read at the end of a marriage. And it's to instill hope. It's to instill that you're gonna make it whether you have hard times or God is in the midst of everything of what you're going through. So I want you to engage with this and I want you not just to hear it, but I want you to receive it and allow it to be life to you this morning. Hear this blessing that God says to you right now. It says, O oh God, who by your mighty power created all things out of nothing. And when you had set in place the beginnings of the universe, you formed man and woman in your own image, making the woman an inseparable helpmate to the man, that they might be no longer two but one flesh and taught that what you were pleased to make one must never be divided. O God, who consecrated the bond of marriage by so great a mystery that is in the wedding covenant, you foreshadowed the sacrament of Christ and his church. O God, by whom woman is joined to man and to the companionship they had in the beginning is endowed with one blessing, not forfeited by sin nor washed away by the flood. 
Look now with favor on these, your servants. God, Holy Spirit, do this right now. Look now with favor upon these, your servants, joined together in marriage, who ask to be strengthened by your blessing. Send down on them the grace of the Holy Spirit and pour your love into their hearts that they may remain faithful in the marriage covenant. May the grace of love and peace abide in your daughters and let her always follow the example of those holy women whose praises are sung in the scriptures. And may her husband entrust his heart to her so that acknowledging her as his equal and his joint heir to the life of grace, he may show her due honor and cherish her always with the love that Christ has for his church. And now, Lord, we implore you, may these your servants hold fast to the faith and keep your commandments made one in flesh. May they be blameless in all they do and with strength that comes from the gospel. May they bear true witness to Christ before all. May they be blessed with children and prove themselves virtuous parents who live to see the children's children and grant that reaching at last together the fullness of years for which they hope that they may come to the life of the blessed in the kingdom of heaven. Through Christ our Lord, amen. This is God's heart. And in setting up marriage, he does not leave you empty-handed. He gives you grace in every season, in every situation. He gives you tools. And I pray as you read, as you go back and you study this and you read this this week, that the Holy Spirit would bring about tools that you don't even know exist to work through issues, to work through problems, to begin to get God's heart for your spouse, to begin to get God's heart that sometimes you gotta roll up your sleeves and fight. It's not okay to just quit because you feel like it. Now, God does, does give outs through divorce. The scripture is very clear on that of what that looks like. But my heart for you this morning is that what you would see is God's heart, the way he designed it, the way he set it up, and that we would do everything in our ability, single, married, unmarried, whatever it looks like, to pursue this heart, and that we wouldn't keep it just to ourselves, but God would use it as a witness to show God's love to the earth. Marriage, when people see it from the outside looking in, it says so much. And even when people get on the inside and see what really is, it can say so much of God's heart and what, who God is. And so I pray that God would even empower you. He would put people around you where your marriage can be a witness to somebody. And if you're in a place where you need the Holy Spirit, the great physician to do some work, that that would take place and that healing would begin to take place in your heart. Aren't you thankful we welcomed the Holy Spirit this morning? He's the one who makes all of this possible. He's the one who empowers it. We can't do it on our own. Sometimes you have to even go past the place of I'm done rolling up my sleeves and I need to fall to my knees and cry out to God for help. My heart is this morning that you would get God's vision for your marriage. And when you do, you'll see his hand. You'll see the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit come alive in it because he operates best in how he created it. And so... What we don't know can hurt us. Ignorance is not bliss all the time, especially when it comes to marriage. And so it takes a, a, a mental muse to understand, okay, God, this is how you've set this up. This is how I'm now to walk in it. So that's my heart for you this morning. If you bow your head, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the foundation that you've built in our lives this morning. God, I pray that we would be renewed. We would take this and we would run with it 
God, I pray that hope, the God of hope, would begin to stir our marriages, would begin to stir our relationships. God, whether we're single, whatever we are, wherever we're at, God, that healing would come and touch the deepest parts of who we are, where we have pain relationally in our lives. God, I pray that any baggage we may have that we hold on to, that we don't want to address, God, that you would get the baggage out, that you would heal it and you would put your spirit and do the work that you only can do. Pray for marriages that are struggling. We pray together as a church, God, that your grace, your Holy Spirit power would invade it and would bring life to it. We thank you, Lord, that you're in the business of bringing dead things to life that Jesus is the answer, Christ is the answer, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. We can never go wrong, we're never undersold, but he gives us his abundant life. I pray those here that don't know Jesus, that are on the, the fringe, that those watching right now who don't know Christ, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to draw them, you would begin to convict them, that they would see your design, they would see your creation. They would see your way works, that it's full of love. There's grace, there's power, that we can have this relationship with God. We can hear his voice. We thank you, Lord, that your mercy leads us to repentance. And anywhere, anything in our lives where we need to repent, we repent. And as we repent, we're renewed. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. amen. Well, Brian, I want you to join me and we're going to honor God and our giving. And what's amazing is, you know, stats will show is that finances, married couples can say amen, usually cause great division. They lead to divorce. And when we understand God's heart for finances, is, it's amazing what can begin to take place. This was something that was bedrock in our life. I've always heard it said, you either tithe or you tip God. And we made a decision that we're not just gonna tip God, but we're gonna tithe, we're gonna be committed, that we're gonna give 10% of what we make, what scripture lays out as tithe, whether it's hard, whether it's easy, that we're gonna trust God that he's gonna take care of us as we tithe and as we give. You know, this can be a game changer in your marriage and it can begin to set you free when you choose to make the decision to tithe and to give and to trust God with your finances. Because what you're doing, you're saying, I'm releasing control and I'm trusting God that he's the one in control. I'm participating in God's economy. And so if you don't tithe here, like we say, we don't know who gives or what gives what, but we wanna encourage you to trust God in it, to test him. Scripture says to test him and to try him in this area of giving. And he sets you up. He's, watch what I'm gonna do. Watch the blessing I will pour out into your life. And so I pray if you're on the fringe, if you're on the edge, if you think it's, oh, that's law or that's Old Testament, come and talk to us. We'll get some great resources in your hand, some critical thinking, and you can begin to really see what the tithe can begin to unleash and literally unleash in your lives and what God can do through it and how it can even heal the financial. Maybe you're in a place where you tithe and your spouse doesn't and you're literally in a financial battle on tithing or not tithing. I wanna encourage you in that too to keep trusting God in it and know that you're participating in something that he's established and set up. But I want us to pray over the finances, over our giving this morning. 
There's multiple ways you can give. You can give online or you can give in the house. Brad, I just want to agree in prayer. Father, we thank you, God, for the talk on marriage this morning. Father, we thank you that you've given us a way to heal the division in our finances, to heal the nastiness that can come with finances, to heal the controlling factor of finances. Father, we thank you that through the Holy Spirit, when we give, when we trust you with the tithe, God, your hand goes to work. It goes, begins to operate on our behalf. God, I pray that you would begin to reveal in a greater way your hand and how it's at work through the tithe, through the faithful givers here, through those that are even on the edge as maybe this is their first time trusting you with a tithe. God, that they would begin to see your hand go to work and they would see and their trust and their faith would be built. God, we thank you that this is a generous church, that you gave it all for us and the least we could do is give back. And when we do, we see what you can do. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed. For more messages like this one, check out our website at gatheringplacechurch.com.